What's going on, guys? <clears throat> so, full disclosure, I am totally jacked up right now. Like, I'm on, like, Theraflu or whatever. I got a cough drop in my mouth. Like, I'm, I'm messed up. Uh, I'll set a Red Bull, <laughs> which is the real medicine here. What are you talking about? When you are tired, what do you do? You could drink coffee or get a Red Bull, and I chose for the... Anyways, um, welcome. Welcome to GCF. This is the... This is... No, no, no. I got, I got like, I got like a, a cold. It's the cold I've had since NYC that you can blame Chase and Carly for. And Caleb, the worst. I still got it, man. It's still in my soul. I could feel it. Okay, anyways, back on track. Welcome to Grizzly Christian Fellowship. Um, glad y'all are here. Um, if you haven't been here or you haven't been in a while, this is the, this is the time of, of our gathering where we like open the Bible and we talk about God's word and we figure out what it means for us. Um, and so thanks for coming and not skipping for an intramural hoops game, because that's super lame. Um, anyways, um, again, <laughs> welcome. Let's get on topic. Uh, we're going through the book of James. We're, we're, we're using this as kind of our theme, our header. is uh, We're looking at the handbook to hypocrisy. James is this, this book in the New Testament that really lays out how a Christian is supposed to live in this life. And it lays out how a Christian is supposed to live um, after he's been changed by the, 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 the truth of of the gospel in Jesus. And so as we're looking at this, it's important for us to understand that, that, that like this is James talking to a church, talking to Christians, okay? And um, if you guys remember the last couple of weeks, um, James has been telling us how to live, right? The do's and the don'ts, right? Like live this way, act this way, say things this way, listen well, don't get angry. He's giving us all these do's and don'ts, but they've all been kind of aimed um, specifically at like, our internal, like personal growth, right? Our personal holiness. And so tonight we're going to see a little bit of a shift. Um, and uh, starting like uh, with uh, looking back at last week's verse, verse ch James chapter one, verse 22, this is kind of the theme of the book of this like letter. Um, and, and James says this, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So that, that, that is a theme that resonates throughout this whole book. Be doers of the word not hearers only. So the implications, we hear the word, right? We like receive it meekly, as we said last week. We like read God's word. We cherish like God's communication to humanity and we do it, right? And um, our idea is don't be a hypocrite, right? That's don't be a hypocrite. This is the handbook to hypocrisy if you don't do it, okay? That's kind of our theme. And so uh, this week, we're gonna be talking about doing the word um, and we're gonna be talking about something that's really gonna resonate with us, I think, because we're gonna talk about... Um, uh, discrimination and partiality and this idea of favoritism. And it's something that, you know, obviously our culture cares about a lot, right? It's something that is like all over campus. It's all over our politics, pop culture, socially, like it's everywhere, this idea of discrimination. And so tonight what we're going to do is um, um, we're going to talk about that. And on the surface, um, it's not something we're going to object to. But my hope here is that as we consider this idea of, of impartiality more deeply, I want us to think about it on more than just this political idea level, this um, ideological even level, uh, a cultural level. I want us to consider it spiritually because that's what James is after here. James is after, um, um, after us being moved by the radical impartiality of God and his mercy to then be impartial ourselves and how we interact with people. And so, um, yeah, so that's kind of our theme for, for tonight. So I want to I just read really quickly uh, James chapter 2, verses 1, which is really, it's like a verse, a verse that's going to like 
just give us direction the rest of the night, okay? Um, so James chapter two, verse one. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in your Lord Jesus Christ, the King or the Lord of glory. We could like just end there, right? Show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus. That's like, that is literally what we're talking about tonight. Um, and so this is kind of going to be our big idea. This is what's going to guide us tonight, okay? Um, the answer to discrimination is the God of the Bible and the gospel of Jesus. That's going to be our guiding tonight. The answer to discrimination in culture, in politics, on campus, in your relationships, the answer is the God of the Bible and the gospel of Jesus. And so let me pray one more time, and then before, and we can dive into to this, this letter. Uh, Lord Father, we... Um, God, we love you and we need you to, to open our eyes and open our hearts and uh, just give us wisdom as we, as we unpack uh, your revealed word, as we unpack your communication to, to us, your people. Um, Lord, I pray that as, um, as we consider this with, with Christian hearts or non-Christian hearts or wherever our hearts are at, Lord, that, um, that what would resonate with us um, is where impartiality comes from, um, where indiscrimination can come from, Lord. Yeah, Father, we just, we just pray for your wisdom and your guidance. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So as I said, right off the bat here, James shifts his focus a little bit. We've been so focused on like this inward idea of like following God, this personal relationship with Jesus, trying to be holy and righteous and good. And our, our shift started last week. Um, if you remember that verse, the end of our text last week is true religion is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, right? You remember that? So that's kind of, that's kind of the initial shift of focus for James. It's like, we're not just talking about ourselves anymore, like us being like uh, obedient and holy and righteous before God. We're talking about how we're interacting with other people now, like how we're affecting those around us. Uh, and so the shifts we're making is from the personal to the interpersonal, uh, moving outward from ourselves rather than just inward. Uh, but James also says in that first verse that we just read, right? He, he, this, we said last week, J Jesus is mentioned twice. And so what's that verse say, right? Show no partiality as you hold the faith in your Lord Jesus. Um, the point here is simple. Everything in the book of James, everything that James is talking about, finds its roots in the teaching of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus. We cannot make that, we cannot disconnect that. That's just reality for us as we read this book that is, is laid in with do's and don'ts. Um, it's part of the grander narrative of what James is trying to accomplish here. And so he's reminding this church, right, these churches that he's writing to, that the basis for everything he's going to say, all these, these don't discriminate, watch your tongue, uh, be, like all this stuff comes from Jesus himself, okay? Um, and so tonight, as we take the idea of discrimination, we take the idea of partiality, and we're trying to like filter that through our cultural and um, our context on campus, the first filter for that is through the gospel. And that's, where we're, at, that's, where, that's what we're aimed at tonight is filtering discrimination and partiality through the gospel. Um, and so, like I said, if you look at politics, pop culture, anywhere, like this idea, um, discrimination is one of the probably preeminent evils of our culture today, right? Like it, it's, a, it's, it's one of the things that um, is iconic of university campuses and politics. It's this aim at eliminating discrimination and partiality and favoritism. And so as, as we said earlier, what James is after isn't something political. He's not even after something cultural. He's after something distinctly Christian. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to churches. And so when James is talking about partiality and he's talking about discrimination, he's not talking about culture and politics. He's talking about Christians being discriminatory. He's talking about Christians being partial. 
So read, read with me chapter two, verses two through four. And this is kind of James's first, uh, as, he, as he dives into explaining this idea of why Christians should not be uh, discriminatory and partial. So chapter, chapter two, verse two. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, this is James like telling a story, a hypothetical. Uh, if he comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit over here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down on my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So this is James' first dive, right? First dive into, into discrimination and partiality. And he tells us this ridiculous story, right? A, a story like we're all reading and hearing. And we're like, of course that's stupid. Of course, of course we're not gonna be like, you know, oppressing these, these weak and unwealthy people. That, that, of course that's wrong, Right? Like that echoes our cultural mantra of the day. Uh, But the first thing I thought of was this super obscure like fantasy book that I read. Um, And I'm not gonna tell you guys about that because no one's gonna understand it, but we could talk about Harry Potter. And um, the first time I read that, when I thought about that other book, the second thing I thought about was Harry Potter. And uh, if you guys know the story of Harry Potter, you have Harry who's like this orphaned, broke, homeless, like orphan, right? And he's thrown into this like life with his aunt and uncle. Uncle Vernon and Petunia, right? Which Petunia is an awesome name, by the way. Um, anyway, the, uh, he gets, he's thrown in with his family who already has a kid that they love and care about and cherish, right? And so he becomes this, like, this indentured slave in their, in, the, in, the, in their home, right? Like Dudley gets these birthdays, he gets the cakes, he gets like this happy like, life with everything given to him. And Harry lives in like a broom closet, right? And when he eventually gets his own room, there's bars on his windows, right? And so... While we, while we see this story as specifically insane um, to like us, uh, it might not have been a, like hypothetical to them at the time, right? And while we, we see that story as ridiculous and that culturally, right, our cultural understanding, we can understand, see that as, as ridiculous, the story of Harry and this, this story here. But the idea that James is after here is that the people in these churches, meaning Christians, were elevating some people above others in their value within the church. And so James is telling them, like, what are you doing, right? Like, have you not become judges with evil thoughts? He's saying, like, you're becoming the evil of the culture that you live in. Meaning, like, Rome. They live in Rome, right? Like we talked about last week. They live in this Roman-controlled culture where Rome gets to decide who's a citizen, and those citizens are the ones that get to own property and voting rights and legal rights, and they get to be part of this kingdom, and everyone else is like not a second or third or fourth class citizen, everyone else is something else altogether, right? They're not even citizens. And so James is saying like, you're, you're becoming that very thing that you despise and that oppresses you. You're becoming the very kind of creature that sentenced Jesus to death. You're becoming the judge and the determination of, of value and dignity. Um, and that, that, that idea that they are becoming assimilated into the evil of that culture, that oppressive culture, uh, that, that problem has inertia. That problem in Rome had a lot of inertia because like, unlike today, if you were poor in the ancient world, it was really, really, really hard to rise out of your station. Like there wasn't a lot of social or economic movement out of like poverty. And so um, what would happen is like you get wealthy and rich and it's very, very hard for you to fall and you are poor and 
destitute, and it's very, very hard for you to rise out of that. And so there's this inertia of the wealthy and the powerful and the cultural elite always being the wealthy and the powerful and the cultural elite, and the poor almost always being poor. And so when James is giving this, this, this instruction to this church to don't lift up the rich that are already rich, um, that are already culturally have all these advantages and all of this wealth and all of this power. He's telling them, don't participate in the culture that oppresses the weak and lifts up the rich. And so what we're gonna, what James is gonna tell them is like what we just read, like the first reason for Christians to be impartial towards the people around them, the first reason he gives is the character of God. And we see that God isn't just impartial, um, it's not like God just like takes his hands off the wheel and says like, I'm impartial. I'm just going to let, you know, the, the chips fall where they may, right? I'm going to let the world operate and I'm just going to let it happen, right? Like not that kind of impartiality. But what we're going to find is God actually does act with a specific kind of mercy and a specific kind of partiality that's going to be totally countercultural. And so read with me, James chapter 2. Um, verses five through the first part of six. This comes right after him saying like, you guys, are, you guys become those judges. Right? You, you become the judges that judge Jesus. So he says this, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. See, James's first reason his first encouragement to these Christians to not participate in this culture of discrimination is that the character of God is such that he doesn't participate in that culture. He actually subverts it. See, time and time again in the Bible, like we have all these stories in the Old Testament of God using the weak, of God using the poor, of God using the oppressed to accomplish his purposes. Like the, the initial like start of the people of Israel is through this nomad wanderer in Abraham. You have like the Jacob, the second son, the guy that doesn't get the inheritance. God using him to further his purpose. Using David, this like, the guy that was left behind while his brothers and dad went like fought in this war, the guy that was left behind to watch the flocks. God using him to conquer nations and bring about the line of Jesus. You see Rahab the prostitute, God using to, to protect his people, to protect that people of Israel. And again, bring about the line of Jesus. And so over and over and over again, littered throughout the Bible, we have events where God, rather than like capitulating to this culture of, of celebrity and power, subverting it. We have God constantly, by, constantly subverting these hierarchies of power rather than giving honor to the honorable. He gives honor and value to those without honor and those without value. And as I said, it's funny, right? Like we're talking about impartiality. We're talking about not showing favorites, and yet we have God showing favorites, right? Like God showing favorites to those the world is not showing favorites to. Are, are, you, are you with that? Like, does that make sense, right? Well, it doesn't make sense, but it, it makes sense what I'm saying, right? Like, it doesn't make sense that in God commanding impartiality would be partial in how he plucks people like Rahab and David and Jacob and then uses them. Welcome to GCF. We used to have a, uh, a phone bucket, but no big deal. I'm totally kidding. I'm sorry. That was rude. <laughs> um, but I think for us to understand that, that like weird contradiction that, um, 
this command to impartiality, but God is partial, to understand that we got, we got to do kind of what we did last week and dive into where these people are and what they're experiencing. Um, and at first blush, we read this, right? And James is like, stop being partial jerks, right? Stop taking all the rich people and be like, oh, come sit over here. Come sit by me, right? Take the suburban family to sit by me and, you know, y- y'all can go sit over there, right? Like they, they sound like jerks, right? But consider where they're at. Consider what we talked about two weeks ago. Consider the fact this is a Christian church, an early Christian church in an in a empire that hated Christians amongst Jews that hated Jesus and wanted to get rid of his people. So instead of being like these, uh, th- these wealthy country club, like going fools, like bringing all their country club bros to church and being like hobnobbing with them, instead of like having these mansion parties in Beverly Hills, it's like, there's something different happening here because they don't have the power. The Christian church doesn't, not at this point. They don't have any power. And so there's something different happening here. And like I said, part of the Bible, part of reading the Bible and understanding it for us is understanding what it meant to them originally. And so what if, well, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's read uh, chapter two, verses six B through seven. And this will help us understand that. We're gonna be the second part of six through seven. So this is right after James telling them that he dishonored the poor. He says, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So what if, what if the exaltation of the Christians, like exalting the ruling classes and the wealthy people and the rich, it had nothing to do with them seeking power. What if their exalting of all those people had everything to do with them avoiding suffering and oppression themselves? You see, those rich people were the ones dragging them into court and suing them. They were the ones that were oppressing them, that were overcharging them, that were, that were selling them out to the authorities. What if then bringing them in, they're like, man, if we can get them on our side, we're not gonna, we're not gonna have to deal with that suffering anymore. So what if those Christians' elevation of the powerful wasn't to achieve status, but to avoid suffering? We can see it a little differently now, right? We can have a little bit of empathy with that. As I said, it wasn't country club members hobnobbing with their bros. It was just avoiding execution. It was avoiding getting thrown in jail. They were trying to claw their way out of this oppression, claw their way out by capitulating to culture, by giving in to the cultural ethos, by giving in to the, um, the, the morality and the, um, the operations of how cult- their specific Roman culture worked. And so James is saying all this, that what they're doing when they're doing that is they're actually compromising the character of God. They're compromising the character of God in their efforts to bend to the will of culture. Because instead of reflecting the character of God, as he just said, right, God is actually the one who elevates the poor, right? He gives the poor a wealth of faith, a part of the kingdom of God. That's who God is, Right? Instead of doing that, they're doing the exact opposite and elevating the already elevated. And so we can, um, the God of the Bible is so utterly counter to the idea of oppressive power, of, uh, of hierarchies built on human need and human desire, that the point here isn't just that, that we should be like, take all of the poor people and put them in power, or we take 
anyone that's homeless and give them mansions. The point is that God is counter to the broken cisterns that humans have built, these broken cultures, these broken empires, these nations led by sinners. See, rather than reflecting God's character and investing in the oppressed and weak, rather than living on radical mission to serve those people, they reflected the very judgmental evils of their culture, right? They bowed down at the altar of wealth. They bowed down at the altar of power. They bowed down at the altar of celebrity. All to make their gospel and their Christian identity more palatable. So how often have you, as a Christian, or vaguely Christian even, compromised your Christian identity to make it more palatable, to make it more digestible by those around you, to fit in better with uh, your friends on campus or your roommate? We've talked a lot, man, about how it's hard to be a Christian, right? I think last week we talked about how hard it was to be a Christian in 2018. <laughs> it is 2019. <laughs> uh, that was a joke, not a good one, but. We've talked a lot about how hard it is to be a Christian. Um, and let's be honest, I think that, uh, and this, I think this is gonna be hard for some of us. I think part of that's justified. Part of that's justified because we've done that. In one way or another, maybe not exactly like this because like oppression and slavery and all these, these ancient, um, um, uh, these, these, uh, this culture in the ancient world, is, is, we're so different now but we've oppressed people. We've been jerks, right? The way we've talked about our, our friends, the way we've talked about the things our friends do. We've been a part of that. I think part of culture's distaste for Christianity, not necessarily justified, but understandable, in how Christians have acted to history sometimes, how individuals have acted, how individuals have treated people, I think that happens in two ways, okay? As, as James is talking about here. One, right, we like just bend a culture and we like lose what is distinct about the gospel. We lose what is distinct about Christianity just so we can make it like we're one of you, right? And then the other way is to just participate in the broken cisterns of culture, like participate in that culture of oppression or participate in our culture of sex and alcohol, whatever it is. So the reality is, is a lot of people have experienced Christianity in ways that God and Christ and the gospel never intended people to experience Christianity because we're broken people. It's happened institutionally. <laughs> like the Catholic church uses this thing called indulgences where you could pay for your sin basically. And so wealthy people could sin more and be forgiven more. And it happens individually. Like I, I, I became a Christian when I was 20 and I know like growing up, I mean, I know I've been hurt by Christians or people that call themselves Christian, but a lot of us have. See, part of why it's become hard for us to be Christians in our setting is, man, Christians are messed up and we screw up sometimes. But that is the only reason James is talking about, right? As we saw with the character of God in this culture, the character of God is countercultural, right? The character of God is, is counter to the culture in such a way that what the culture elevates is the opposite of what God elevates. God takes the lowly and the broken and elevates it above the wealthy and the powerful. And so part of being Christian in our culture is that God elevates things like virginity and purity, right? 
God elevates things like sobriety. God elevates things like kindness. So I'm gonna ask you again, how have you either capitulated and bent to culture so as to make your Christian identity more palatable? See, we, uh, if, you, if you aren't Christian in here and, um, and you've been hurt or rejected, or if you are Christian, you've been hurt or rejected, that's, that's part of us being human. That's part of us being broken sinners. And that's not who we're called to be. That's not, we're not called to be oppressors. And that's not who our God is. But I encourage you, both as a Christian and a non-Christian, don't look at the broken people that God saves. Look at the God that saves. Look at the God of verse four, the God of verse five, the God that plucks out the obscure and gives them worth and value. So the first reason that that Christians should be impartial is because the character of God is such that it's impartial. The second reason is gonna be a little bit harder for us to understand and it's the, the character of the law. So let's read chapter two, verses eight through 11 real quick. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as, you, as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law's transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Now, the second compulsion James gives to these, these, these church, which I think is like predominantly Jewish, right? They like take this law thing seriously. The second reason is the character of their law is impartial. And now notice what James calls that law, right? The, the royal law. And what's the royal law there? Well, it's the second time Jesus shows up in our text. Not Jesus, the name, but what Jesus said, right? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It shows in Matthew 22, excuse me, verses 36 through 40. And this is Jesus talking to a bunch of religious people. Um, well, this is a, a Pharisee talking, asking Jesus a question and then Jesus answering them, okay? So starting verse 36, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? They're like trying to trap him. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Like I said, we see Jesus here again, right? We see Jesus again in the book of James. And so this whole thing, this whole idea that we're wrestling with about indiscrimination and discrimination, it's an echo of what Jesus was teaching. And so what's he saying here? He's saying that on these two laws, he's talking about loving God and loving the people around you, loving your neighbor. On those two laws, the whole of the law depends and so if you can do these two things, Jesus says, then you're gonna, then, then the rest of the scripture will make sense. So Jesus made it easy for them. And so maybe these, these Christians here are thinking, man, we got this, right? We love God. We're, we're, we're striving through our trials. We're trusting God. We're like, we're, we're seeing and cherishing God's word. We're like growing in holiness. And then we're like, we get to loving your neighbor and they're like, well, maybe, maybe loving your neighbor is like being super nice and like super, super, uh, um, when you're sick, you lose your vocabulary, I've learned. <laughs> um, but trying to uh, uh, like woo the, the cultural elites. They're, they're, they're trying to, um, 
manipulate them into liking them. I know there's a word for that. I just can't think of it. Um, so that's how we're going to love our neighbor, man. We're going to love our neighbor, which is going to kind of help us out because then they're not going to like throw us in jail anymore, right? And so they're like justifying this idea in their mind. It's like, love God, check, holiness. Love our neighbor, check, all these rich people like us. But uh, James says, no, that's, that's not loving your neighbor. If you're going to be like, James is telling him like, stop showing favoritism to these specific people. And then he, 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 he sees their objection before they have it, right? Oh, well, that's just us loving our neighbor. He's like, no, 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 no. That's just us following the law. No, 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 no. We already established your motives have nothing to do with love, right? You're judges with evil thoughts. You see, what they're doing is actually violating that command. And as we said, this is a bunch of Jews, right? A bunch of Jewish, Jewish Christians that take the law real, real seriously. They take this idea and this tradition really seriously. And James is saying that their favoritism is counter to the character of God and it's counter to the law of God. Their favoritism is counter to the character of God and the law of God. Look with me again at verses 10 and 11 real quick. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but do, <clears throat> do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And so he's saying like, you break one part of the law, man, you're guilty of all of it. In other words, like you may be discriminating between different kinds of people and like elevating some above others, but you know what the law doesn't do? The law doesn't discriminate. You break one, you break it all. Sinner is sinner, convicted is convicted, transgressor is transgressor. He's saying it doesn't matter if you murder, it doesn't matter if you commit adultery, it doesn't matter if you're just a jerk that shows favoritism. You are convicted under the law of God. Remember that shift in focus James was making, like how we interact with other people? from personal holiness to like our interpersonal relationships. Notice the examples James uses, adultery and murder. <laughs> Both are very serious examples, right? Like they seem to be like way up here where like showing a little bit of favoritism is like down here, right? But adultery and murder are two of the most discriminatory and harmful practices that we can do to each other, that any human could do. You can end a life and you can betray one of the most sacred institutions. Incredibly discriminatory. What an incredible weight for James to like throw at these people who are just being nicer to one group of people than the other. <laughs> to be like, you, you like these, these powerful people more, you are just like a murderer. <laughs> you are just like an adulterer. What an oppressive weight for something so simple. One of the things I love most about the Bible and about how God has, has communicated to us through scriptures is that those weights that, we get, thrown, that get thrown at us, they like never sit there for long and they're never there without hope. And so like most of our text so far has been like pretty weighty, right? Like everything we've talked about has been like super, um, well, to use our word, it's been oppressive to us, right? Like, like you have become judges with evil thoughts. You guys have ignored the poor people. You're counter to the character of God. You've given in to culture. Um, you become lawbreakers, you're adulterers and murderers. But what's beautiful about the gospel, what's beautiful about the Bible is that weight never sticks around. The third reason for Christians not 
to be partial is because of the character of the gospel. Read James chapter two, verses 12 through 13 with me. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy and mercy triumphs over judgment. So you guys remember that phrase from last week, the law of liberty? You remember that showing up? I see like nobody nodding. Either you're not paying attention or you did not remember last week. Thank you, Reggie. The law of liberty. This is the second time in two weeks that this has shown up for us, right? And last week, you remember what it was about? There was a dude looking in a mirror and there's two, well, two dudes looking in a mirror, really. One looks in the mirror and sees himself and then walks away and forgets, right? Like nothing worse. And the second one looks in the mirror and what he sees reflected back is something beautiful. Not himself. What he sees reflected back is the law of liberty, the perfect, beautiful law of liberty, Read James 1.25 with me again. But the one, this is the second dude, who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no, fe- being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed in his doing. And so the week before, right, we talked about trial and suffering and like getting through life, getting through the hard things in life. And you remember like the beginning and the end was you go into your suffering, trusting God, one kind of person, and you come out a wholly different kind of person. Do you guys remember that? Like we... We grow and transform in our lives. And if, if you got your Bibles, go to 118. This is the end of two weeks ago. He says, of his own will, he brought us th- forth by the word of truth that we should be a f- kind of first fruits of his creature. What, what James is saying there is like, you get through your trials and what you become is like that man in the mirror. You look in the mirror and you don't see yourself anymore. You see Christ in you. You see a first fruits of his creatures. And so now read James 2.12 again, where that law of liberty shows up. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. The law of liberty is simply this. You go through trials, you get saved by Christ, and you look in the mirror and what you see reflected back isn't yourself at all, but it's Christ in you. The, the law of liberty is the salvation of Jesus. And that means two things for us. The reason it's the law of liberty is because the salvation of Jesus frees us from bondage to sin in our own flesh and it empowers us to live wholly different lives. And so that law of liberty is freedom from sin and empowered to live differently. And so like Paul calls that freedom, like if you've ever read Romans, Paul talks about the flesh, right? He talks about it all, in all of his letters, he talks about the flesh and being in bondage to the sin of who we were. James talks about it in chapter one as these internal desires that rule us. The law of liberty is being freed from ourselves and being empowered to live for the glory of Jesus and not our own, to live for something bigger, something greater, something more perfect than ourselves. So the law of liberty is freedom from our sin. It's freedom from condemnation under the law, under the character of law that says you being a favorite, like a dude showing favoritism, being the same as an adulterer, it frees you from that. It's freedom from being branded a murderer, an adulterer, or an oppressor. You see, the the impetus for living indiscriminately and impartially is the gospel of Jesus. And when we say that word, the gospel, we just mean this, that Jesus came to this earth and did everything required to restore broken people back to God. 
sinners back to God, the word we use. And what, Jesus, what James is saying here is that, that the law of liberty, that salvation you've been given, that freedom you've been given in Christ, that's the impetus for indiscrimination. I don't even know if I'm using that word right, indiscrimination. Is that like an actual word? Am I doing it? If not, you know what? I'll make up more words. Um, anyway, the, the point James is making is, is that there's a, there's a better reason for us. The point James is making for us is that there's a better reason to fight discrimination and to reject discrimination in our lives than just the cultural inertia of our day. And that better reason is the gospel of Jesus because God is indiscriminate in the people he chooses. The character of the law of God is indiscriminate in its application and the gospel of Jesus empowers or the gospel of Jesus, the character of the gospel is indiscriminate. There were no standards that you had to reach to be saved. There were no standards other than faith in Jesus. Read with me the last verse in chapter, in our text tonight, chapter two, verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy and mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the third time for us that Jesus shows up. We have Jesus at the very beginning in name, right? The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And we have Jesus quoted in the very, very middle. And then right here at the end, does that sound familiar? That, that, that first part of the verse, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. That's, that's the principle of the parable that Jesus told about that unforgiving servant. You guys know that story? The unforgiving servant? There's this king, okay? There's this big king and there's this dude that owned a ton of money, like a ton of money, like lifetime's worth of money. And then the king forgave that money, like forgave that debt. He was totally within his right, that king, to like put... Put him to work or throw him in jail, or they even throw his family in jail. But the king didn't do that. The king forgave that debt, lifetimes of debt. And then that same servant who was forgiven went out, and there was this other dude that owed him money. It was like 10 grand or something. Not lifetimes, 10 grand. Also, not tiny. <laughs> 10 grand is a lot of money, especially to y'all. But that dude who was forgiven this lifetimes of debt couldn't forgive 10 grand. And so the king comes back, finds out, takes this dude. Well, I forgave you. What were you thinking? Why couldn't you forgive this guy? Ten grand. So he throws him in jail. See, the parallel James is making here is the Christian is being forgiven a lifetime of sin debt. The Christian has indiscriminately been forgiven a lifetime of sin debt. An astronomical amount and therefore, out of that forgiveness, we can then live to interact with our world, not demanding any kind of, um, any kind of uh, reciprocation from culture or our world, but to then dole out the mercies that we've been shown to reflect that character of the king that forgave us. So let me tell you, there's no greater reason to be impartial to be radically merciful, there's no greater reason than the character of God in the gospel of Jesus. Don't you think there's a reason why we love stories like that Harry Potter? 
right? Like you have the poor oppressed orphan who rises up to take on like the problems of their, of their world. There's two reasons there, right? One, we just, we love that idea of rising out of nothing and, and the poor and the oppressed and the broken becoming something, being shown a little bit of kindness. But the second reason, that's also the narrative of Jesus entering into this literally a, a, like, a manger, a, a pen of animals. That's how he entered our world, <laughs> taking on the problems of our world for us. Is a true and ultimate relief from the ideas of oppression and discrimination and favoritism, whether that's from one human to the another or the oppression we feel in our conscience, like the Jews did over the, under, the, under the law, the only ultimate release is found in the character of God that's manifest in the gospel of Jesus. And so as we read verse one one more time, the idea of indiscrimination, if I can use my made-up word, finds its root in one place, and that's the gospel of Jesus. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in your Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word, um, your truth, and for giving us the, the cognitive sense to understand it. Um, Father, I pray that as we wrestle with the ideas that culture wrestles with, that we would wrestle with them differently. Um, Lord, that our motivation for goodness and kindness and generosity and mercy would be rooted in something beyond ourselves would be rooted in something beyond what's self-evident, but Lord, be rooted in the gospel of Jesus. The only power to sustain our goodness, the only power to sustain our mercy and our kindness, Lord. Let us reflect your character. Let us feel that weight and live out of the gospel. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.